In the name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. There can be no doubt that John the Baptizer is both a fascinating and fantastic character. First, consider his outward appearance alone. Dressed in camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey for food, who does that? He's not exactly a guy who would make it onto the cover of Brooks Brothers or Ralph Lauren's magazine, probably. You never know these days, of course. Then consider his call to be a prophet in Israel, which wasn't all that easy to say the least. For if you were found to be a false prophet in Israel, the law was clear. You were put to death. Better be careful what you say. But the true prophets in Israel were also often killed. After all, the truth can be a hard word to hear for anyone, yes, but especially if you were in a position of power. After all, just look at how John's own life ended. When John the baptizer publicly confronted Herod Antipas for divorcing his wife and then taking his own brother's wife to be his wife, Herod threw John in prison and then he had him beheaded, killed for telling the truth, for calling out his wicked ways. But before that fateful event, we find most of what we know about John in our readings from last week and this week, where he is in the wilderness, forming his own community of disciples, preaching a message of repentance, and baptizing all who wanted to receive forgiveness for their sins. I think it's fair to say that John could have been killed then. Indeed, the Israelites were not called stiff-necked and rebellious for no reason. Yet the scriptures say that all, all of Judea and Jerusalem went to John and were baptized by him, confessing their sins and receiving the assurance of forgiveness from God himself. Now, Let's enter the story a little more. Can you imagine what that day must have been like for the people, for John's disciples, for John himself? The sense of comfort and joy that the Israelites must have felt knowing that God had not forgotten them, experiencing his divine presence, his forgiveness of their sins in such a tangible and powerful way. And what about John's disciples? Well, it wasn't lost on them that it was their rabbi who had moved the masses like few others had. Surely they felt some sense of validation, if not pride, at being part of John's success in ministry. But then, as we know, something happened. Jesus arrived on the scene, gathering to himself his own disciples, even instructing them to baptize, creating, it would seem, at least confusion, perhaps crisis, maybe even conflict. 
Think of it this way, at least from John's disciples' point of view. We thought you were the leader, John, maybe even the Messiah. We even saw Jesus come to you and be baptized by You said you are not the Messiah and that he is the Messiah, but here you are still baptizing. And now his disciples are baptizing and the people are all starting to go to him. The optics, as they say, did not look good. And so they did what any good student would do. They challenged, even confronted their own teacher. Tell us, John, which one of you should we follow, you or Jesus? And now we turn to John himself. Put yourself in John's shoes for just a moment and imagine some of the thoughts that could have crept into his head. Things like anger, jealousy, disappointment, rejection. I mean, that, that's what people do, isn't it? When someone else steals the show, so to speak. Listen, I don't care who you are. It is hard to watch the attention be taken off of you and put on to someone else. More especially if the people who had once listened to you and followed you were now following someone else. I've often thought this sermon is a good reminder to those of us who are clergy. A little bit of humor there, but we'll save that sermon for another time. Even so, I think there's a broader application for all who call ourselves Christians and even an invitation to anyone who is struggling with the fundamental issue of identity. Identity, it's a big concern in our culture today. I remember about 10, 15 years ago, we Christians were largely talking about purpose. What's your purpose? What is your God-given purpose? Have you noticed how the conversation has shifted? We're now talking about identity, the most basic idea of who we are. So let's listen carefully to what John says, and let's let this soak into our spirits this morning. John says this, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves, speaking to his disciples, you bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, he rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. I love this last part. Listen carefully. John says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now that, my friends, is an incredible statement. Both that John considers his joy to be complete and that he is aware that he must decrease and allow Jesus to increase. So here are some really important observations for us to consider. First, how there is no anger or guile or resentment, or disappointment, or dejection 
Did you hear? Instead, John is nothing but joyful at the appearance of Jesus. In fact, note this, John is willing to step off of the stage as quickly as he came onto it. This, my friends, for us as Christians, is the example of a Christian playing his part perfectly. Notice the deep sense of contentment, of satisfaction, of perfect peace, and of joy in John. As C.S. Lewis said, and I love this description, of playing the great part without pride and now the small part without shame. How good is that? Notice how whether John is surrounded by thousands or standing alone, John is unmoved, John is unshaken. Notice how even when his closest friends and followers question him and and challenge him, John does not flinch or falter and he does not fail. He simply does his job. He points them to Jesus. And this, I think, is where we can all receive an invitation through John this morning about our own identity. After all, you know this, we are a hungry people, and I'm not just talking about lunch. Spiritually, we are a hungry people. And we cannot feed ourselves from ourselves. But equally, what we take in from the outside absolutely shapes who we are on the inside. So here are some things for us to consider. First, I want us to see that John was captivated. He was captivated by Jesus. Note this, even while John and Jesus were still in their mother's wombs, the scriptures tell us that John in his mother's womb leaped for joy when Mary with Jesus in her womb greeted Elizabeth with John in her womb. And the point is this, has Jesus captured our attention? Here's one way to think about that. Do we get excited when we think about Jesus? Or does something inside of us resist Him when we hear His name? And if we are resisting Him, why? How do we answer these questions? This says a lot about the spiritual food we're eating and who we are becoming. Secondly, John was cultivated by Jesus. Who John became... And this is important. It didn't just happen suddenly. It took time. It took discipline. It took focus. It took attention. But even so, at its most basic level, John was aware of one thing, that Jesus is God and He is not. So the question is this. What or who is it that is cultivating our worldview, and why? What do we think about this world, and who's actually in charge of it? Deep down inside, do we delight to know that God is in control, or are we afraid of God, or ignoring God? And if so, why? Third, John was contented with Christ. 
Again, whether he was standing before thousands or seated alone, whether his friends were comforting him or confronting him, and finally, whether he was alive or facing death by the sword, even at the hands of unjust men, John was contented with Jesus. You see, in the end, like all of us, Jesus was all John needed because Jesus was all John had. Can we say that for ourselves? And if not, why not? And what might we need to do to think differently? Finally, all of these things working together prepared John for the coming of Christ. Even as Jesus came in John's time, we know this, either Jesus will come to us in our time or we will go to him at his appointed time. Either way, the question is the same. Are we ready to meet him? Or does that thought cause us to be afraid? And if it causes us to be afraid, why? Here's the bottom line that I want to suggest to you this morning. So many in our world may not know what they are missing, but deep down inside, they know they are missing something. And the word for that something is joy. The word for that something is joy. To lean on our friend C.S. Lewis one more time, he describes joy this way. Think through this with me. C.S. Lewis describes joy as a byproduct. And its very existence, he says, presupposes that you desire not joy itself, but something other, something outer. And I want to suggest to you, even declare to you this morning, that the other and the outer who gives us joy is Jesus. Why? Remember the scriptures. Because Jesus is the one who can cause the blind man to see. Jesus is the one who can cause the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and even the dead to rise to newness of life again. And I want to say this, my friends, that is true whether you are surrounded by throngs of people listening to what you have to say or everyone has left you all alone and you are standing there by yourself because the truth is this. In Christ, you are never alone. In Christ, you are never alone. Advent is the season that reminds us that he came once and he's coming again. And this Sunday in particular, notice this, we light the pink candle. A brighter shade of light to remind us that all is not dark and dreary, but that joy has come into the world and joy is coming again and his name is Jesus. Maybe this can be for you a visual image and a reminder. That's why the church does these kinds of things. See, the promise is this. The promise is not that life will be easy but that in the midst of our pain, our trials, our struggles, our tribulations, Jesus will never leave you and he will never forsake you. 
and the decrease that you might have to experience in this life, however difficult it may seem, however long it may endure, will become in him the decrease that you want to experience so that he can increase in your life. And as he does, this is what you will receive. His goodness, his grace, and his glory. Why? Because you have received him. Both now and for all of eternity. And this, my friends, is not just good news. This is the best news ever. It's the best news ever.